Hello and welcome to Conversations with Elizabeth Johnston. I'm your host, Elizabeth, and I'm looking forward to discussing this topic with you today. It is the cost of the anointing. The cost of the anointing. And the passage I want us to look at is 1 Samuel 16. It says, So the prophet Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. We see here that David is anointed in the presence of his brothers who do not believe in him or believe in his calling. Can we just draw attention for a second to the fact that the Lord will anoint us, and it uses the word anoint here, He will anoint us in the presence of those sometimes who do not believe in us. That does not mean we are any less anointed. Also, I want to draw attention to how the Lord uses the least likely to be the most favored as we unpack this passage in 1 Samuel 16. David was the least likely, the last in line of his brothers. Daddy didn't even bring him uh, to the prophet as an option to be the anointed one. Sarah was barren. Esther was an orphan. Ruth was a widow. Rahab was a prostitute. Noah had no ark experience. And Moses had a stutter. Saul of Tarsus was a murderer. And look at how the Lord powerfully used these unlikely vessels. Do not allow the enemy to discourage you and make you think that because you feel unlikely, maybe it's because you're not educated, college educated, or you have gotten a divorce, whatever the stigma is that you think makes you unlikely, don't let the enemy stop you from walking in the anointing that he has placed on your life. But if you think that the anointing comes without a cost, you are mistaken. And we need to look at the life of David to understand more about the cost of the anointing. First Samuel 18, it says, David went everywhere that Saul sent him. He did everything his king asked him to do. He was faithful and he did well, the Bible says. Saul had him lead the men of war and it was pleasing to all the people and to Saul's servants. When David returned from killing the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul, playing songs of joy on timbrels. The women sang as they played and sang, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Then Saul became very angry. This saying did not please him. He said, they have given David honor for ten thousands, but for me only thousands. Now what more can he have but to become king? And Saul was jealous, the Bible says, and did not trust David from that day on. I want you to look at the verse up there, a couple verses where it says Saul became angry. How many know that jealousy looks like anger sometimes? Maybe you're struggling with someone in your life who is angry and it could be rooted in jealousy. 
Verse 10, the next day, a bad spirit, an evil spirit sent from God, sent from who? God came upon Saul with power. He acted like a crazy man in his house while David was playing the harp, while David's serving him and doing what he wants him to do and comforting him and helping soothe the evil spirit that Saul is suffering from. Saul starts acting like a crazy man. Saul has a spear in his hand and he threw the spear thinking, I will nail David to the wall. But David jumped out of his way twice. Saul was afraid of David. Why was he afraid of David? The verse tells us because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. So Saul made David go away from him and had him lead a thousand men. And David went out to the people. David did well in all that he did because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how well he did, he was afraid of David. And then move forward to 1 Samuel 23. It says, And Saul called up all his forces for battle to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And it says in verse 14 that King Saul sought little old harp playing David every day. It says every day. How many know that your worst day <laughs> Your worst week is nothing like being sought by the king and his entire force and army every day of your life as you are hiding in caves. So in our text here, David is on the run. Saul is in power. He has the position, but he does not have the anointing. Do not mistake position for anointing. You can have someone be in a position of authority, but that does not mean necessarily that they have the anointing of God on their life. We see that clearly in this passage. See, there's a price to pay for the anointing to be the chosen one that David is. And Saul has not paid that price. Where was Saul when scary Goliath was taunting the living God. Where was Saul? He didn't do what he was supposed to do. He was scared. He was shaken in his boots. And David rose to the occasion and took the incredible risk and slew that giant Goliath. There was a cost to pay. David has paid it. Saul has not. If you want the anointing of God, there is a price to pay. Let's talk about that price because the anointing does stir up trouble. Being anointed is not easy. And the first thing that I notice about the anointing in this passage is that it attracts jealousy. Anywhere there is favor and anointing, there will be jealousy somewhere around that anointing. In Matthew 27, it says, Pilate recognized that it was out of envy that the Jewish religious leaders had handed Jesus over to be crucified. What does the passage say it was? The root of it was envy. In Acts 5, it says the Sadducees, filled with jealousy, opposed the apostles by force. Jealousy was the motivator. And of course, 
We know that Jesus and the apostles were highly anointed of God. And in every case here that we're talking about, in the case of uh, David and Saul, the person or group who is actually in the flesh more powerful in terms of position and institution fights against the little anointed one of God, right? That's the pattern that we always see. This person that's actually not a threat in in any kind of physical and fleshly terms is a threat to their religious systems. Now, none of these attacks on Jesus, on the apostles, on David were eventually successful. But let me tell you, when you're going through these attacks, it can be terrorizing when you're going through them. How many know that David was terrorized in those caves? Thank God we all benefit to this day from the Psalms, from the worship, from the prayers that David prayed to the Lord that we all now benefit from through the book of Psalms. And I can just see him so vividly hiding in those caves as I'm listening to Psalm 34, 35, 36, 37, as as I'm hearing David ask the Lord to deliver him from his strong enemy that is too strong for him. I can so vividly see him hiding in those caves. But jealousy is often the root of the attack. How many know things get weird when you have something <laughs> that someone else wants. Things can get pretty weird um, They because, see, people want what you have without paying the price that you had to pay. And it was not an overnight price. Um, recently, I was visiting with a pastor who was telling me a heart-wrenching story of a ministry and a school that he has labored patiently and in humility to build over 20 years. And the person that he hired to come in and help him has stolen the hearts of the people and taken that ministry from him. And it is, they have suffered so much, this pastor and his family, at the hands of this person who was operating in an Absalom spirit. And This person is very charismatic. They have great leadership skills in one way of looking at it. They're very um, persuasive. And it's easy to understand how this person wants what this man had patiently built for 20 years, but he didn't want to patiently pay the price that the, the other pastor paid, and he ends up just stealing it from him. Saul had the anointing. He had the favor of God, but he lost it. He forfeited it because he wasn't willing to sacrifice and obey and keep his heart pure. And now he is jealous. And this reaction from Saul is one you will see wherever you see the anointing and calling of God. The person can't stand to see someone else enjoying the powerful benefits that they used to have, but lost for some reason or another. And just as I was mentioning in the story of um, Absalom after David became king, it says in 2 Samuel 
uh, chapter 15. And so the conspiracy against King David gained strength and Absalom's following kept on increasing. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. You see, Absalom could not get the favor from God because his heart was not right with God. He was not a pure vessel like David was. And so he had to steal it. I have watched this attempt play out in the lives of people I know and in my life as well. We see it in Joseph's brothers, the jealousy that they had for the dreams that God was giving Joseph and the calling that was on Joseph's life that no one could deny, but we see them reacting in jealousy. And this sends Joseph into this incredible wilderness experience. But how many know that God takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it for good in our life. And he takes the wilderness experiences we're going through and he cooks up such a beautiful work of sanctification in our lives and a faith building experience that catapults us to another level if we will only trust him and obey him and stay humble before him. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, it says, Saul sought David every day, but God did not deliver David into Saul's hand. God will protect you. He will remove your enemies as he did for David, or he will elevate you to such a place that people are like, Saul who? (laughs) They don't even, we talk about Saul now. We look back on Saul basically as a loser now, as we recount his life. We talk about him in terms of being a loser, him not being successful in the end, not finishing the race that God had set before him to run, Saul who? And yet we look at David as someone that, yes, sinned in the matter of Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite, her her husband, but other than that was a man who walked with a pure heart before God, as the scripture tells us. And so God will remove your enemies. He will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He will take care of you if you will continue to walk before him in trust, in obedience, and in humility. The second thing I want to point out that I notice about the anointing is that it is lonely. The anointing can be very lonely. Can it get any lonelier than hiding in the cave of Abdullam while you're being hunted by the man who you actually loved and served faithfully? Can it get any lonelier in that? Uh, Hiding from a man who has an entire army at his disposal. But seasons of loneliness are the incubator and the training ground for greatness. The anointing has an incubation period. Your calling, your destiny, what God wants you to walk in and the fullness of what he wants you to walk in has an incubation period. God works through incubation. We see that throughout scripture, throughout creation, uh, obviously through a child in the womb. Um, God cocoons you before 
he launches you. He cocooned Noah's family and shut them up in that ark before he launched them to create a whole nother human race. Um, Moses was shut up in the basket before God called him to deliver the children of Israel. Joseph shut up in prison. You won't be shut up forever. It is just a season. You got to ride it out. You got to wait on God. You got to hang on to Jesus with everything, trusting him, not using the carnal weapons of warfare. Oh, how many know it's so tempting to pick up the carnal weapons of warfare and lash out and get vengeance on those who are trying to hurt you. But if you will stay the course, Keep yourself humble on your face before God, contrite before the Lord, letting the Lord vindicate, saying vengeance is the Lord's, not mine, and not using carnal weapons of warfare. He's about to launch you. You got to ride out this cocoon process, this incubation period. The next thing I notice about the anointing is that it is always preceded by crushing. A.W. Tozer said, God never uses anyone greatly until he tests them deeply. Crushing is the process where God tests us and the greater calling that you have on your life, the greater anointing you're going to carry, the greater the crushing often the person goes through. Olives have to be crushed and pressed to produce their amazing oil Wine has to be, grapes have to be crushed and pressed to produce their wine. Crushing is the process that produces that oil of anointing that we want to carry with us everywhere we go. And I would be doing a disservice to talk about the anointing and the promise of the anointing and not also talk about the crushing that is required to get there. Those God anoints the most he crushes the most. Look at Moses. Look at the way he had to suffer and run from the Egyptians and hide and build a new life and go from um, the, the palatial kingdom life that he had in the palace, the, the palatial palace life to being like a, a sheep herder in the wilderness Look at the crushing he had to go through as the children of Israel, who he is trying to lead out of the wilderness, are turning on him and not believing him and getting jealous of him and doubting him. Look at the crushing. We want to focus on the Red Sea and the great anointing that he carried. But don't forget that God didn't always warn him about all of the steps and the process before he ever experienced the Red Sea miracles in his life. And we see this crushing in Jesus and Joseph and David and so many of the greats that we pray that we could carry that type of anointing. The further the arrow is going to be shot, I heard it said, the further the arrow is going to be shot, the harder it must be pulled back. Every person who accomplishes great things, exceptional things, is going to be exceptionally tested. The question is, what will you do with the crushing and the testing and the wilderness experience? Will you grow bitter? Will you retaliate? 
in the arm of the flesh? Or will you say, though some trust in chariots and horses, I will trust in the name of the Lord. The Lord need sometimes to bring us to these low places to remind us where our help comes from. I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help does not come from horses and chariots and carnal means. My help does not come from money or maybe people who can defend me uh, or friends or judges or lawyers. My help comes from the Lord. It's so easy to get stuck in a place of asking, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this trial and this suffering, this wilderness experience? And for me, the Lord needed to bring me over the last couple of years to this place of just utter desperation and dependence upon him where he was the only one left for me to depend on. Can anyone relate to this? Like, I am pretty capable of fixing things, finding solutions. If I can't fix it, I can find someone who can. And sometimes people that are capable, it's easy to get in a place where we don't call on the name of the Lord first. He's not our first go-to. And so the Lord needs to bring us to this place where no person, no place, no thing can get us out of the mess we are in, can rescue us from the cave we are in other than the Lord himself. Over the last year and a half, I have spent over, if I could just get real with you for a minute, over $100,000 in legal fees, defending myself against bogus, frivolous legal actions. And, um, you know, it's really easy for me to get angry about that, about the waste, about the waste of time. I mean, spend 10, 20 hours a week sometimes on top of everything else I'm managing with my children and homeschooling and ministry, dealing with, with legal work as well. And, it's easy to get frustrated about this and to not remember the big picture of what God is doing. And I'm so thankful as I'm looking back over this journey the last year and a half of how the Lord has taught me how to lean in in faith on him and trust him for everything, for every meal, to pay every bill, to just fall upon him and trust him like a child and watch him come through so powerfully for me. That's the place where he wants to bring us. And and that God who came through for me is the same God who is intimately watching over whatever situation that you are going through right now. And he will provide for you. He will not leave you begging. He will take care of his children. Humbling situations, they are good for us. They produce character in us. And David needed those caves before that crown could ever be placed on his hand head. What would have happened to David as the king, the anointed king, if he had not gone through the darkness and the humility and the humbling place of hiding in those caves? I firmly believe that it would have been a completely different king had David not gone th- gone through those cave experiences. He needed those caves. 
You don't want to receive the blessing of the anointing before it's God's time. You want it to happen in God's timing after he has groomed you and prepared you in whatever way he sees fit. I've learned to stop fighting the process. Um, I mean, I, I still have growth to do in this area, but wow, wow. Take me 2019 and now me 2021, and they are two very different people as far as learning not to fight the process that God has you on. It doesn't look the way you want it to look, but you have to trust fall and believe that this process is the one that is best for you. And in relinquishing control, you will find greater strength to endure that test and that battle. Don't fight the crushing and grooming process. Some of you are fighting it right now. You're resisting it right now. And it's what's causing so much anxiety in you and fear and, and, and grief. I mean, there's a place for grief. There's a healthy place for grief. Uh, but some of you are struggling because you are fighting the process that God has you on. And just as a woman in birth can cause her contractions to stop, and can cause her labor to stall through fighting the process and not relinquishing control and letting that baby come through. I do have a little bit of experience with this after giving birth 10 times. We, we're not supposed to resist the contractions. We're supposed to accept them and receive them and allow our body to do the work to bring that baby into transition. And it's the same thing with tests and trials in our lives. If we could relinquish control and trust God through the process, it hurts less. And it oftentimes takes less time to get through that process. How many want your trial and your cave and your wilderness experience to be as short as possible? I know I do. And the last thing that I notice about the anointing is that it requires humility. The anointing requires tremendous humility. And if you do not walk in humility, you will lose the anointing as we see happen with King Saul and many people in scripture. The Bible says in Proverbs 3 that God mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. It says in James 4 verse 6, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Anytime God is going to exalt you, he's going to make sure that you are his humble vessel because he mocks proud mockers. He will not tolerate pride in his vessel. If you're filled with pride, there is not room for him to do the work that he wants to do in you. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you, said the author Andrew Murray. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. I recall a time when years ago, when I had kind of first started this journey and uh, my following online was really increasing and my influence was growing. And I don't know, I had maybe a, a couple hundred thousand followers on Facebook and I got banned from Facebook for quoting what the Bible said. And they banned it as hate speech. And I was not diversified yet on any other platforms, didn't have an email list. I was so new to this. 
And so being banned from Facebook was like, I didn't exist. I fell off the face of the earth and I had lost all of my following. And I just remember during this time, um, you know, literally getting on my knees and just relinquishing the platform that God had given me and saying, God, I never asked for this. Um, If I did anything to displease you in this, I will repent. Show me. I don't want to displease you with anything that I did. And maybe I'm, I'm not worthy of this right now. And that's fine. I just, I give it to you. I don't want it to be an idol in my life. And I relinquished control of it and just entrusted it to him and say, said, whatever you want to do. And I got up from that prayer time and I had a thought I'm going to write a press release about this. And I'd never written a press release before, and I probably did a terrible job. Um, But I wrote a press release, and Christian media started picking it up. Um, You know, Christian mommy blogger gets banned from Facebook for quoting the Bible. Um, face the, the headline just starts spreading around Christian media, and then secular media starts picking it up. And before I could hardly take a breath. This story went global. It was in Germany and the UK. And I was having constant calls and emails to field big media spots on radio shows and TV. And it just became this huge viral story about this mommy blogger getting banned from Facebook. This was back in like, I think 2016, before all of us knew that the big tech giants over at Silicon Valley were censoring people. We didn't know this yet. This was a really interesting story. We all know it now. Um, It doesn't phase us and nobody's even writing stories about it anymore because it's such old news. But at this point, this story went really, really viral. And what the enemy meant for evil, I firmly believe, because I relinquished control and did not idolize the platform and gave it back to the Lord, um, the enemy was not able to take it from me. And the Lord turned it for good. And it actually, honestly, (laughs) the situation turned into a book deal for me and bigger speaking engagements and opportunities. And it just catapulted my voice and my influence. And so if you'll take the tests that the Lord gives you and steward them well and ride out that process and stay humble and broken before the Lord and not allow, um, not allow bitterness or retaliation to come in, it's amazing how God will use those tests in your life to catapult you like he used Joseph's prison uh, sentence to catapult him to second in command in Egypt. My friends David and Jason Benham say, a platform is not a stage to speak on, but an altar to burn on. Can the Lord trust that the platform he's given you, that you're always going to burn for him. Use that platform to burn for him. Or are you going to let it go to your head? The Lord needs humble vessels. And where do we see when water flows out of a spigot, where does it go? It goes down to the lowest places First, when water flows out, it goes down. Do you want the living water to flow through you? Well, you need to be a low, humble vessel that he can flow through because you are yielded and you choose to go low like we saw David with King Saul.
In conclusion, I want to draw attention to verse 9 in the passage of 1 Samuel 23. It says, When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar, the priest, Bring the ephod. When he learned that he was being hunted and chased, he did not say, bring a a spear. He did not say, bring a horse, bring a chariot. He said, bring the ephod for me to seek the Lord. I have some praying to do. I have some leaning in on the Lord to do. I must seek the face of my God because he is the only one who can vindicate me. Are you leaning on the things of the flesh, the works of the flesh right now going through your wilderness experience? Or are you asking for God to move on your behalf and leaning on him and seeking his face before you seek anything else? In 1 Samuel 23 verse 14, it says, Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. Look at those two words, but God. But God did not give David into his hands. Some of you are focused on the day after day Saul is searching for me. But you're not focused on, but God made sure that he protected his servant. Some of y'all need to focus on the but God right now. You need to focus on the promises of God. They are yea and amen. You can trust him that when you're walking through that Red Sea and Pharaoh's armies are chasing you, when you're going through your trial and your wilderness experience, that the same God that came through for David here is the same God who will come through for you. We need to take these but God passages and we need to claim these promises over our lives every single day. Do not lose heart. Do not faint right now. What would have happened if the children of Israel in the middle of the Red Sea had fainted, had looked on one side and seen the ocean, the sea, and looked on the other side and seen the sea and their hearts just failed them. They couldn't take the pressure. They didn't know if the waters might cave in on them. What would have happened if in that moment they fainted and they lost heart? They would have not entered in to God's promised land for them. Dear one, you're going to live. You're not going to die. You've got a promised land that you are headed into and your God is fighting your battles for you. Just do not employ the works of the flesh. Lean upon him. Trust him. Love him deeper. Listen to his voice. Call upon his name. And his word promises that he will save you. Will you pray with me right now? Let's go to the Lord and let's ask him to help us believe him as we are going through hard experiences right now. Lord, I thank you for everyone listening. I thank you for the journey you have them on. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God who does not leave us in the middle of the Red Sea, does not leave us in the caves does not leave us on the cross, but resurrects us from our wilderness experiences. I pray a blessing over everyone listening, Lord, that you would infuse them with strength and hope 
and power to endure another leg, another lap of the journey that you have them on right now in the name of Jesus. I pray strength and favor and goodness and mercy and protection and the blood of Jesus over their situation. And I thank you that no weapon formed against them will prosper in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. We pray for you and ask you to share this podcast episode. God bless you. 